Today's episode is brought to you by Janelle Hardy and the Art of Personal Mythmaking, a transformational memoir writing course that supports you in getting the first draft of your memoir written while also healing from the more difficult parts of your life story. Why not start with Janelle's free online video workshop, Outline Your Memoir? In two hours, you'll go from having an unrealized desire to get your story down on paper to having an outline, a timeline, structure for your writing, and enthusiasm. Check out Janelle's workshop and courses at www.janellehardy.com. Thank you so much, Janelle. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 169 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building a quilting business with my guest, Amy Smart. Amy has loved sewing as long as she can remember. She started quilting in earnest after the birth of her first baby 21 years ago, craving a creative outlet and something that stayed done at the end of the day. While enjoying quilting as a hobby, she feels so lucky to have dovetailed this interest into a strong business. She's experienced multiple aspects of the quilting industry, including working in a local quilt shop for 10 years, starting a blog called Diary of a Quilter in 2008, teaching locally and at large events like the Fat Quarterly Retreat, QuiltCon, and Riley Blake's Garden of Quilts, writing and selling her own quilt patterns, publishing a book, and eventually designing fabric collections for Riley Blake Designs. It's been an exciting ride full of unexpected opportunities and lots of lessons learned along the way, many of which we're going to get to hear about during today's interview. So Amy Smart, welcome. Hi, Abby. Hi, so glad to talk to you. I've been reading your blog, Diary of a Quilter, for God knows how long, <laughs> a very long time. Been around a long time now. It's yes. crazy. And getting your newsletter as well, which we're going to talk about. And it's just wonderful to actually hear your voice and connect with you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've listened to so many shows and it's fun to get to talk to you in person now. Yeah. Well, Virtually in person. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so I do want to talk um, in the beginning a little bit about how you are doing. We are, I don't know how many weeks into maybe six, eight, I don't know, I've lost track yeah. of time um, into this yeah. stay at home order. And um, I just wanted to know how you're doing with your family. Um, and, uh, you know, how are you feeling? It's so funny. Like, how to how to sum up i'm sure we're all feeling that way like how do how do i explain um <laughs> in a not marathon long 
you know, I think some days we can probably say some days I'm fine. Some days this isn't so bad. I'm, I'm a, kind of have a family of homebodies and some days we're living our best lives and other days the uncertainty and the, you know, the, just what, how to, what do we plan for and what's life going to look like that can kind of weigh on you. So, and, and I can say that from a place of, I, I have a job and I'm not, sick right now so you know I feel for people who have a lot heavier things on their minds so it's 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 interesting it's an interesting time yeah exactly I feel the same way and um and you have teenage children is that right yes teenage young adult and young adult and you have four kids yep I have four yep I have two girls who are both college students living they were living away at college and suddenly got to move home, which has, I've actually really loved having them around. Um, they've been, it's been fun for me, but they're missing their independence yeah. <laughs> for sure. So it was kind of a, one was a freshman and to have her freshman year just abruptly cut short was kind of a bummer, but yeah, but yeah. So two, two, um, young adult daughters, and then I have two teenage sons who are working through high school on, online online right and, and some things they love gosh they're done with schools a lot faster right in the day so right. yeah okay okay so all right we're gonna go back now because um we did go through a lot of your incredible accomplishments in the quilting industry in the intro and i know people are sort of dying to hear about like how all of this came about and how you built up this um, incredible number of accomplishments. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating. So, um, so going back to um, when you were a kid, and, and actually did learn how to sew and how to make quilts. So, uh-huh. um, so where did you grow up? I grew up in Salt Lake City. Okay, Utah. Um, yep. And was your mom, your mom taught you to quilt? Was she pretty crafty? She was, yes. And she came from, I think she came from a, a line of sewers especially she her mom made all her clothes and she my mom grew up knitting her own like fair isle cardigan sweaters as a 12 year old oh wow <laughs> like that she was pretty she was pretty amazing in that way and she would make our clothes when I was little especially and make our curtains and our bedspreads and all those things um but she didn't she learned to quilt to make to piece quilts when I was probably about 10 or 11 and I still remember her going to this class and coming home and she taught me how to piece a quilt and she had made a couple like really simple patchwork just patchwork quilts um and we still have one of them is still my favorite it's this old and it's got polyester and it's it's held up really well with all that polyester (laughs) was this maybe in the the 80s when quilting was sort of just getting going again okay yeah so she made her first, like that Patrick quilt was probably the seventies. Okay. But, and, and there wasn't a lot to choose from right. in, in terms of, you know, Fabrics. fabric. Yeah. Um, and it's fun because I ended up just to fast forward briefly, but I ended up basing my first fabric collection on that old patchwork quilt, which, so that was a fun kind of circle of life moment. But, um, she did, she took this first piecing class in the eighties and that's when she taught me, um, she came home and taught me how to trace the templates and mark the quarter inch seam line and how to hand piece. And I still have those first blocks there, dusty blue and 
you know, dusty pink that matched my 80s bedroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that was back in the day when people were, were making templates from cereal boxes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. It was very traditional quilting. That's yeah. what she first learned and taught me. Okay. All right. Great. Um, and so when you were young and, you know, sort of went off to college and things, what, what were you interested in? What did you study and, and kind of, you know, explore? I, you know, I ended up getting a degree in humanities, which my mom also loved and which she, um, she loved. We, we traveled growing up and she'd take us to art galleries and we loved history and we'd go to historical sites, things like that. So that really is, I credit her for, um, that interest as well. It's really funny. My, my dad is a, a doctor, family physician, and my mom was this sewing humanities art history loving person and if you look at my siblings we kind of fall in those two camps I have um one sister who's a nurse and a brother who's an EMT and EMT and I did not get that side of the family (laughs) I kind of cringe when I see blood so I got the artistic sewing yeah history loving side of life Mm -hmm. from my mom Okay. All right. So you studied humanities and then did you, yes. where, what kind of job did you get when you came out of college? <laughs> that was always the joke is all through college. I, people would ask me, what, what's your major? Well, you know, what are you studying? I'd say humanities. I loved it. I, I got to study abroad sure. and, yeah. um, and it was always like, well, the question was always, what are you going to do with that? And <laughs> I was like, well, be smart. I don't know. Um, I'm good at writing and, and it's so funny cause I, at the time I really did go, I'm, I'm not sure. And I would tell people just so I had an answer that sounded at least like I had a plan and was somewhat intelligent. Like I wasn't just doing this for fun, but I'd say, oh, I'll probably go to law school. Sure. Or, That's the, oh, no, the I answer. Just wrote, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I ended up, um, by having a job and funnily enough in the medical field, not as a actual physician or medically trained person, but I worked in. Um, our local hospital, I got to be the office manager for the, the foundation that was the charitable fundraising arm okay. of the hospital. And I loved it. It was such a great, I got to use my writing and, and creativity and we did a lot of events and things like that. And I really actually loved the hospital environment, which is so interesting because I, again, I always would be like, well, I didn't get that side of the family gene pool, but I actually really love that environment. Yeah, so no, I totally get to, it. When I met my husband, yeah. he was um, working in fundraising at the Harvard School of Public Health. So very similar. Oh, you kidding. That's so yeah. cool. I loved it. Yeah. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. And really got to work with um, some really amazing people who who dedicate their time to, you know, one was a group of mothers who'd been through a birth crisis and um, either a premature baby or a baby born with special needs. And they had this wonderful program to support women, you know, families going through that situation. I just, I, they were so inspiring. I really loved yeah. that time with them. Yeah, They're just totally. great, amazing people. Yeah. It, okay. So you did that for a while and were you doing creative things as a hobby or had you kind of let that part go? You know, it's funny during my college years, I had let that part go part mainly because I would get really distracted by it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do homework or study for finals right. or things. So I kind of set that aside during my college years. I do a little bit of like cross stitch in the summer or something like that. But I had kind of set that aside. And then 
um, I'm working. I, I think I still like, I remember cross stitching a baby sampler when I was pregnant, but I still was working full time. Okay. So there was still little bits of things like that, but it wasn't until I, I, um, I stopped working after I had my first baby. I'd worked from home a little bit. I still did contract work for them from home, but that's when I really kind of dive, dove into to quilting again. Right. And I can understand um, when you, you know, have a first baby and you're home, um, yep. you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sort of downtime or, and also some feeling too of like, nothing's ever accomplished. It kind of feels like Groundhog Day <laughs> where yes. like, it's just diaper after diaper, after feeding, yep. after feeding, oh. after nap, after nap. And it's like, it just keeps starting over and over again. And, and I mean, for me, at least that was the impetus to start my blog because I needed something that was going to be for me and also a feeling of accomplishment. And it sounds like maybe that was your, your same experience. And I, and it's so interesting how many other women I've talked to have had similar experiences and they, you you still need to be you and you need to, yeah, do something that kind of feeds your soul. And, and that feeling of like, I accomplished this and it's going to stay this way and I'll, I'll, and I'll build on it. And obviously mothering is, is that on a huge, you know, macro level it's just harder it's so much more incremental it's harder to see it so it's nice to have something concrete that you can see the progress right it's like if you if you add this quilt block it doesn't then fall off and (laughs) have to be added again (laughs) to be redone yeah Yeah. oh I feel so I feel so lucky to have had something that I already loved and was interested in um that I could pick up and that's and I really started taking classes there was this wonderful quilt shop that was um, not far from my my parents' house. We lived about 45 minutes away from my parents. And um, I would take my baby and put her down for a nap at my mom's and go take a quilt class at this wonderful shop. I had just wonderful teachers who I still just are such inspiring women to me. Um, One of them is Leslie Ison, And she just is a gifted quilter, um, Norma, Norma Whaley, who also is a pattern designer now and still um does just some beautiful things so I had this gift to go and take these classes from these just inspiring women at this beautiful shop it was in an old home that had been restored it was just an inspiring place to be and that was so fun yeah too okay so you were like teaching yeah you were like teaching yourself to improve these skills and um yeah kind of really learning the foundation the basics i my mom had taught me some and I'd done a little here and there, but really learning techniques and, and things like that, that I didn't know. I didn't know how to bind a quilt and learning that was one of those things. So yeah. Okay. that was so, such a great thing. And this was in sort of the early to mid 2000s, somewhere around there. It was, yes. Yeah. It was about my, my oldest was born in 1999. So yeah, those first part of the early 2000s. Okay. And then really. How did you start your blog? Did you one day discover quilting blogs or how did you realize that there was like an online quilting life? It's that is so funny that you asked that because my husband and I, we still kind of laugh at it. He, he first told me about starting a blog and, and it was kind of back in the mid two thousands when people were writing family blogs and you know, that that's how my husband's, um, parents 
live on the East Coast. They they lived in Maryland at the time. And so we lived, we were living in Utah. And, and so they were far away. And so he's like, well, let's, we could put pictures up and they could see it. And I really dragged my feet. He's the one that started our, our family blog. And um, then I remember reading Real Simple Magazine or something at one point, and they listed blogs. And I think the first one I went and looked at was Design Mom, who I still really enjoy. And it's like, oh, this is so fascinating. She just kind of shares her life. She was my same age and she had kids and she kind of had a lot of the same interests. And it's like, this is really fun to like this inspiring content she would put out. And then I, re- I at that point, I had started working in a quilt shop. Um, and I, which was such a, oh, it was just such a little gift in my life. Was it the same and shop that you were taking classes or a different no, shop? Okay. It was really funny. I had always said to my husband, I, someone needs to open a quilt shop in our community. Like the ones I could go to were at least 25 minutes away, which isn't bad. <laughs> I'm sure for a lot of people, that's, that's still really close. Um, but I, I was, I wish someone would open one in our town. And one day someone did. And, and I went in I was so excited when I found this out and it was just a little tiny one at the time and it's since grown. Um, but I went in one day and had a, a baby in a stroller and a toddler and was just so excited to have somewhere more easily accessible. And I overheard them saying, trying to get somebody to come in and take the Saturday work Saturday afternoon, calling the different employees. And this was so out of, my comfort zone. So not typically who I was at that time. I think I've become a lot more bold since then, but I, I thought I'm going to go ask if they need someone to come on Saturday afternoon. So they would be interested in hiring someone. And the gal that looked at me was kind of caught off guard and she wasn't the owner. So well, I'll tell the owner. I said, I, I, are you looking for someone on Saturday afternoons? I would love to come in on Saturday afternoons if you need someone. And that ended up following up with the owner, actually, which again was not, I wasn't that outspoken, outgoing at that point. And um, she gave me a job and I, the someone, a new owner bought the shop not long after that, but I ended up working there. Just, I worked Saturday afternoons. They were so kind. I had little kids at home. And so Saturday afternoons once my husband was home and he took over and I ran away to the quilt store and talked to quilters and pet fabric and they gave me money to do it. And it was just, I was living the dream. It was so much fun. And I did it for 10 years. It was, it was such a wonderful little outlet in my life. And, and that has since dovetailed into so much of what I do now. I feel so lucky as part of this industry to have worked in a local quilt shop. I want to take a minute now to hear from our sponsor, Janelle Hardy. My name is Janelle Hardy, and my business is called The Art of Personal Mythmaking. And what is personal mythmaking? Personal mythmaking is a transformational memoir writing process that includes memoir writing, of course, um, but also working with your life story, using your body, and using fairy tales to heal from the more difficult parts of your life story, the parts that often are stopping you from starting writing. Wow. So if you go through this process, um, what does it actually produce? Like how, I don't know, tell us us more about Mm -hmm. like the actual nuts and bolts of it. 
Yeah, so the process produces the first draft of your memoir and a whole lot of transformational healing. So I do not take you to the point of publishing. That's not what I'm interested in. Once you get your first draft written, after that, it's a whole other kind of work that you have to do. So my focus is really helping you work through creative resistance, which is huge, um, get the stories down and also um, not feel overwhelmed when you're facing the more challenging parts of your story. Wow, that's so important. We all have those stories and some of them are really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people confess to me they've wanted to write their memoirs for more than 20 years and they haven't because they don't know how to um, how to do it on their own. Yeah. So working with you, they can get started and actually get it out on paper. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, okay. And so you have an online course that will guide them through. Yes, yes. But the absolute best way to start is my free outline your memoir workshop. Okay, great. And it's free. Mm-hmm, it's free. Yes, on demand and free. You can go to my personal website, which is JanelleHardy.com and just click the work with me link. You'll find that free workshop. Wonderful. And if people do want to work with you further, I understand you have a coupon code. I do. Yeah. Once you take that workshop, you'll get an invitation into the the bigger course, The Art of Personal Mythmaking. And I have a 10% off coupon code. It's CIA10 for any of my course offerings in 2020. Thank you so much, Janelle. And now back to my conversation with Amy. So I want to get back to I want to get back to how you discovered blogging. But before we okay. do, um, I just want to pursue this path a little bit longer, which is yeah. to say, tell us some of the things you learned about consumers and about retail um, about, you know, what it is people want and um, what it is retailers need um, from those oh 10 goodness. years. Because my, my guess, and, and I, I think I'm probably correct, is that um, through that experience, you were really educated in, and, and help, it helped you to, to be able to achieve a lot of the things that you achieve later. Oh, absolutely. I, that, that opportunity was, at the time, I thought it was a gift in that here was this little outlet. Sure. And, to and like go, and it's as you said, to run away. So and much like, more yeah. than I thought. Yes. Oh, it's been just this little hinge point in my life. I just think of that moment. And so I, I tell, I guess if anyone's out there listening, feeling timid or not wanting to put themselves out there, that was me. And I am so glad I did in that, that, gosh, that little serendipitous overhearing that conversation I never in a million years would have guessed what that moment how that moment would change my my life in just huge ways and so um but I loved working in a local quilt shop I it gave me so much respect for people who own and run local shops it's so much work it looks it looks very dreamy and like oh you get a order fabric and, and work in this wonderful environment. And, and it really is super fun, but it is, it is night and day worry and a lot of work for those owners. So my hat's off to all of them. They provide just such an amazing resource and place for us. And, and I worry about them <laughs> because it's, 
it's so hard to, I, I've had um, my three low closest shops where I live now have closed in the past, you know, five years. And yeah, I'm grateful for those who are still in business and I'm, I'm watching them have to change. I have so many thoughts on that, but some of you asked some of the things I learned. Yeah. Um, what did you learn? I, I love, for me, I love the people and the connections with people I made um, during that time, just enjoying the customers that would come in who became regular. So I still will see from time to time and it's, they've, they've become friends. Um, I learned a lot about, uh, the fabric industry from that window, like what people are looking for and how it was, I still remember. So I started working in that shop and I think it was 2003 and, and the, the quilting industry has changed so much since then. I remember the first time we got something called charm packs and, these pre-cut squares and I, Oh, someone was so smart to come up with that. And now we see how that's changed. You know, that's, we have yeah. whole parts of the industry built around pre-cuts. They're, ge- they're great. They're genius. Um, I learned a lot about helping people get started. Like, um, I taught some beginning classes and, and it helped a lot of people who came in and just felt overwhelmed and didn't even know where to start. How do I pick out fabric and how do I, um, find a pattern or and so that's helped me a lot as I've you know later written a blog and a book and things like that I I can I've interacted with those people I know how they can feel overwhelmed just even knowing where to start and need a place to start well here's a place you can start or you know here's a tip of how to pick a focus fabric and then find colors and and just things like that it was really um a good window into not only the the back end side of what it takes to run a quilt shop but it was a good window into interacting with actual people who from all different levels um of quilting experience and what they're looking for absolutely i think that is fantastic and you know helps you have so much perspective um what a fantastic way to enter um it was so great yeah. So fun. yeah. I, I would, I would keep doing it now if I had time. I, you know, I, the reason those, that, that employee was looking for someone on Saturday afternoon is they all had big kids who had soccer games or just busier lives on Saturdays than I did at the time. And so that, that eventually became me and, and it just, Saturdays were too busy. And now I just, my other business has, it just takes up too much time, but I really would love that still. I, I remember thinking there was never a day I wasn't excited to go work mm-hmm. in the quilt store on yeah. Saturday afternoon. Right. So Totally. Um, okay. So back to discovering blogging. So your husband mm-hmm. encouraged you through this family blog, and then you discovered that there were bloggers out there like Design Mom who mm-hmm. had um, content that you were excited about. Yes. And then I remember it was not long after that that I discovered people, there were, there were quilt blogs people wrote blogs about quilting and it was like my mind was blown and I was so excited I think one of the first and still one of my favorites is Amanda Jean of Crazy Mom Quilts and she's not writing her blog anymore I'm so grateful she still puts content on Instagram because she still inspires me so much but I remember reading these blogs about women a lot of whom were my age and and kind of still in my stage of life I I had four kids at that point, young kids and hands full 
and um, it was so fun to to see what these other women were creating. It was just so inspiring. And I remember telling my husband, you know, this is a couple years at this point after we started our family blog, and, and telling him, I feel like I have all these new friends. And he looked at me a little... <laughs> A little concerned. And this was, you know, the very beginning of social media. And I think we can understand it a little better now. We do have all these virtual friends now that we've met and made through these and who sometimes become real life friends. But this was a time where it was like, if you met someone on the internet, they were a serial (laughs) killer. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he looked at me a little concerned, like, are you okay? (laughs) And, And we laugh about that now, because in many cases, some of those people have become real oh, life friends. Totally. I, I, the time I never would have imagined I would meet Amanda Jean Nyberg. And she's someone I have met at Quilt Market and just thoroughly enjoy. I'm just throwing her out as an example. There are many others, but um, it, it, I, it was so fun and inspiring to see. I, I again, I felt like I had these friends that were sharing what they were working, and it, I think part of that was because in my real life I didn't, other than the people I'd come to interact with and get to know through working in the quilt shop other friends my age I didn't have a lot of friends my age who sewed and I kind of and this is just me I don't think that they were necessarily projecting this I was just projecting this myself I felt kind of oh people must think I'm such a grandma if I'm a quilter so I'm I really just did not want people to know like I just didn't tell people I didn't talk if people asked what I like to do I didn't bring up sewing it's just so funny to me now um and so I, I felt like I found this tribe of people who got me, who didn't think it was weird to cut up fabric into little pieces and sew back together, who got excited about, about the latest fabric collection that was coming out, you know, that followed those kinds of things. And it was, those, those were such inspiring women to me. Mm-hmm. And you picked a great name for your blog. Which is so funny because for years I hated it. Isn't that funny? At the, I don't know why. I picked it on a whim just like, oh, I'm just going to – I I started my blog thinking, well, I have – I was sewing a lot for this quilt shop. I, you know, I, only, I worked in the shop on Saturday afternoons, but really I did a lot from home for them. I made a lot of samples. I cut a lot of kits. It was just such a great thing I could also do working from home. By the time I was creating so much, I thought – I'll just, I'll share what I'm working on. I'll just, I, so I started my own blog and I just was not feeling, I still do not feel really creative when it comes to naming things. <laughs> I'm just surprised why. that the URL for diary of a quilter was available. Well, it was, I had, um, it was a blog spot, you know, when I first got it. Yeah, I know. It's not funny. I think it was just long enough ago that yeah, there were, people you know. just had it. And now it's it. so funny. Like, oh, this is a great SEO. I did had no concept of that when I picked that name that it would have the word quilter in it would be a really good thing one day. So yeah. at first I thought, oh, this isn't that clever. There's so many other cute, cleverish little names out there for blogs. But now I realize, oh, that was actually a good idea. I'm glad I did that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, such a good, it's such a good name. So, okay. And so you started um, writing on this new blog and interacting, mm-hmm. you know, that was in, and back in the day in 2008, 
you know, before really social media was was such a thing, um, this was sort of like, you know, giving you territory, like, you know, it makes Mm -hmm. you a participant. I mean, that's really what it was. It was like, oh, here, I can, I have a voice too, um, once you set up your blog. Um, And so um, then people can comment on what you're saying and you can, you know, you have, you have your own little piece of real estate, basically. Um, And so, um, so you started, I'm, I'm guessing writing tutorials there. Yes. Yeah. After a while, you know, for a while it was just sharing. And it's so funny back then blogs were like, well, today I'm making grape juice. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that. absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just straight up that. Today it was like, we oh, look, park. My, yeah, yeah. T- today yeah. I, I planted this in my garden. Yeah. Totally. Yes, exactly. It was a little more broad. Um, but I did start sharing, you know, projects I was working on. And then eventually someone asked me to write a a series about how to make a quilt. And I, I started writing some really basic tutorials okay. about how to make a patchwork quilt. And, yeah. and, and did this was, was the next sort of step? I mean, I guess my question is how did this transition into a business? Like what was the first piece that became something that you sold, you know, that was not you working in the store and getting paid that right. way, but was actually something that you ended up getting paid for. Well, it was about that time that Etsy um, was coming into being as well. And I remember someone telling me, oh, my sister makes burp cloths or something and sells them on this website called Etsy. And so I looked into Etsy and um, that became, that was great. That was a perfect little platform for me at that point. And I could put stuff online and, and sell it, you know, without having to create a website. Um to sell things. And so at that point I started cutting just some really simple, I made a few samples and cut some really simple patchwork baby quilts and started selling those. So on Etsy. Finished quilts. Uh, um, I sold a couple of finished quilts, but I sold the kits. Okay. I I cut the kits. Sorry. That, um, to, I, I, I learned pretty quickly. And I think I knew this that my audience was other quilters. They, they weren't looking to buy a finished quilt. They wanted to make one themselves. And so, um, and I knew from working in the shop, we sold kits like crazy. People just love to buy a kit. And so, and that, by then I was really good at assembling quilt kits. Yeah. And so um, I, I sold a lot of pre-cut quilt kits where I even laid out the patchwork squares in rows and stacked them. So all someone had to do was pick them up and sew the rows. Okay. So you knew. I had done a lot at the store. Yeah. You knew how to do that. You had experience and you knew how to write a a tutorial and then, Mm -hmm. um, and was the paper pattern in there too? I think the first ones I I made were just, were just pre-cut squares and they were laid out ready to go. So I had a a tutorial on the blog that was, here's how to sew a a simple patchwork quilt. And then you you pick up the the squares and sew them together. Yeah. And then I. So that was, those were the first things I sold. Got it. Yep. And they did really well. Right from the beginning. Yeah. And and yet even my inventory was small. I wasn't like mass producing, but what I was selling was I was starting to make more money selling things from home. That yeah. was a nice little perk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and were you still working in the shop at this time? Did this compete with them? I, I wasn't, well, I was doing different things. I was using different materials or I wasn't doing, um, selling things that were sold in the shop. I was selling, I was creating 
different okay. different designs, different combinations, things okay. like that. Okay, got it. All right. And then um, was the next thing to actually create like patterns, like print patterns or PDF patterns? Yeah, I think um, I, again, back to working in that shop, it was such a um, uh, great opportunity because they gave me the opportunity to, I designed a lot of quilts for the shop and, and then we would kit them. And so I designed the pattern for them. And my favorite thing actually in working in a quilt shop was finding the fabric that wasn't moving and coming up with a quilt and a, and a pattern. And then we would kit that fabric so it would move. And it was, it was just really a fun challenge in a way to take something like, okay, something about this people aren't liking, I'm going to make it into something they like. And, and without fail, people just need a visual. They just need to see what to do with it. Like at that time, Amy Butler's prints were really popular, but if you looked at her, her prints are such big, you know, graphic designs that looking at the skinny side of a bolt, it was hard to visualize what, what it was. So as soon as we'd make a sample with those, they'd fly, fly off the shelves. But if we didn't, sometimes they would sit there for a while. They wouldn't move. So it was a fun challenge to do that. And so that's how I started writing my first patterns. And I look back at some of those patterns and they're, you know, it's a word doc with some pictures. Right. <laughs> and I sold them. Um, I, I basically gave them to the store, you know, we just include it. It was, it was to move fabric. That was the, the main reason we we're doing. And it. in all honesty, that is the reason that quilt shops stock patterns. Like I think that right. that's something that a lot of people who get into pattern design don't a hundred percent understand. Yes. And yes. I meet with consulting clients often who want to get into designing patterns. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I start with is, you know, the reason you need to get into the mindset of the retailer. So exactly. why is a retailer stocking quilt patterns? What is the purpose of the quilt pattern? The purpose of the quilt pattern is to sell fabric. That's why they buy them. That's why they open the checker catalog and they pick out the pattern. <laughs> they pick yes. out the pattern to sell fabric. So you need to think about that when you're designing the, the pattern because <laughs> that's what yes. the pattern's for. And make it simple for that shop to to um, sell the f- I That has helped me so much as I write my patterns even now. What would be the easiest way for a shop to kit this? Well, if I if I give them a fat quarter bundle instruction, then that's so easy for the shop to just cut the fat quarter bundle. This pattern can go with it, and the consumer can take those fat quarters and know just what to do with them, things like that, or pre-cuts or, you know, things like that. That's right. You want to make it simple for the, the shop owner. That's right. Exactly. And so you really need to think about that. And if you don't know... You can ask shop owners. Yes, yes. It's okay to ask them. You know, call some shop owners up and and talk to them about your idea and get their feedback. And they'll talk Mm -hmm. to you. They want you to succeed. This is a very friendly industry. People want to help you. So, you know, ask them. Ask them to Um, help you. Show them your idea and say, you know, if you were to sell something like this in your shop, how could I improve this to make it work better for you? Absolutely. I feel like I should... It's been about mm, seven or eight years since I've worked in a shop and I'm probably should do that again because the things have changed so much. What, what can I do better to support you? Because really this industry is about the more we support each other and that's what, that's what we just need to do 
for this industry to thrive. Yeah, we work together, you know, and a pattern designer and a teacher is really a collaborator to help sell fabric, notions, thread, all of Mm -hmm. those things. And um, yeah, it all works as one. As well as empower new people to come in, to come in, learn, learn how and yeah. buy a sewing machine. It's yes. like, you know, it yep. all works yep. together and we all rise together. So yes, it's a very absolutely. interesting thing. And, and often it starts from Pinterest and that Pinterest pin yes. is your blog tutorial. So it's all one, you know, it all, it really yep. is. And so you writing that tutorial and, and you've written now hundreds of tutorials yes. oh gosh, on your blog. I can't believe it. Whoa, there's a lot there. Yeah. 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 So I just think that that's really, um, really interesting and important for people to sort of see that circle. Um, for sure. So, um, so, uh, I- um, let's talk a little bit about your email newsletter just for a second, okay. because I do think it drives a lot of that traffic. Um, I yes. think it does. I don't know for sure, but I, I would guess that it does. And, yes. um, and I think it's a strategy that a lot of people who do have a blog miss or do have, you know, mm-hmm. create online content miss. So, so talk about it, talk about how you create it, why you create it, what's in it, um, your, uh, workflow. You know, as to when okay. you when you send it out and 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 when you sit down to write it and and all that. Oh. Um, and I would say, I new, writing a newsletter is something I've really only focused on for the past maybe a year and a half. Maybe it's two. I'm so bad at time. Just I'm not good at. Wait, that was really that long ago that I started doing this. Um, but it's it's a more recent development. Um, and it's definitely been worth the time. And, um, and again, sometimes we get hung up on, I, I'll say this about every step of my process of building a business in this industry is, um, we can get, it's so easy to get hung up on like wanting perfection and, and not taking the next step because I don't have a great camera or, um, I'm not really good at I haven't thought of the perfect name or whatever it is um but to just just jump in and do it I still feel like there's a lot I need to learn um I could be doing better with my newsletter like better drip campaigns or better you know but for right now it was like I'm just gonna start writing one and it has it's become a invaluable resource um kind of tied to how I feel about social media um, that's a whole other topic. I, my newsletter is so much more effective than, um, any social media at, at actually driving people to where I make an income, which is from my website or from sales. And so, um, I try, I wish I could say I was more organized. It's actually been one of the hardest things about the past few months of, I'm missing my quiet time when I can just sit and think. So I feel like I'm not as, my newsletter's not as sharp as I wish it was, but it's there and I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm still, even when I don't feel like it, I still do it. Um, and I try, and most of the, most of my newsletter is like, here's what I've been working on this week, or here's what I've shared on my website this week. And because I have been doing writing my blog for so long, I have a lot of content, so it's nice to be able to share past content and just drive people back to other things I've done. Um, I also like sharing things I've found and that I got this, this inspiration from your newsletter, Abby. I love, I always love reading 
what you found and are sharing that's interesting. So um, I've tried to share some of the some of the things I found that week that I think was inspiring or interesting. So that it's not just about me. Plus, there's there's just so much great stuff going on, and it's fun to like you would share with a friend. Like, oh, I found this, and this was really fun. And so that's my my newsletter is relatively simple. And when you send it out, do you see a spike in traffic? Absolutely. Yep. Every time. Okay. And do you and, see more comments on your blog? You know, I've, yes, I, I don't, I think blogs, blogs have changed so much. And I'm surprised, like you still blog and you have yeah. a huge, by the way, following on Instagram. Um, you are no slacker <laughs> when it comes to Instagram. Um, so you're there, you have, I checked, I think it was over the weekend and you had 64.9 thousand followers on Instagram. Which is crazy. Which it's is crazy. a lot of followers. Um, yeah. So it's not like, and, and a lot of people, um, you know, they, and, and you were saying about um, Crazy Mom Quilts, you know, a lot of people kind of let their blog go and just yeah. um, started sharing on Instagram and, and, and no fault there, but, no, um, it's, but a, it's a much easier platform. It, it's much easier to, to sort of micro blog there between yeah. stories and, and the main mm-hmm. feed. Um, but you haven't. And can you talk about why that is? You know, that is something I've thought about a lot. I I remember a lot of people saying, oh, blogs are dead. And because of this very phenomenon you're talking about, blogs are take a lot of work and maintenance and um, time. Um, And so I totally get it. Like, it's not for every, like, these simpler platforms have evolved, Instagram being probably the the main one, Facebook being another kind of in a different, they they have their different roles and audiences. I, and at first I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't keep blogging. I'm so glad I have because frankly, and I would encourage anybody who is, who is building a business, who is, whether they're starting at the beginning or just trying to continue to grow, a blog is still the, the best move because of, of Pinterest, because Pinterest is the most, by far, Pinterest is my um, the driver of the most traffic to my site. And I've learned over the years how to monetize my blog. And so I, I get revenue now. I have ads for one thing. Um, but also, it's where I, I tell people what I'm selling. And they can, they, it's, it's still such a worthwhile effort to have a site that you update and where people, especially where you can pr- share evergreen content, like uh, tutorials, that people will come back to year after year after year. It's a much easier place to find that evergreen content than social media. Right. And so just to clarify this um process that you're talking about. So you have hundreds of tutorials on this website and you answering mm-hmm. people's questions. So when somebody's mm-hmm. putting a question into Google about how to right. how to bind a quilt because they don't know. So yeah. they will come put that question into Google. You have the tutorial that answers that question. So they find your tutorial organically that way through yes. search mm-hmm. or they're they're on Pinterest. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a different kind of search where they're looking yeah. and they find a pretty picture of something that's a, t- a tutorial that they want to follow of how to make a, a, nine, right. a nine patch quilt or, or something. And, and they click through and then they end up on your site where they can subscribe mm-hmm. to your newsletter um, and, and come back because you're now marketing directly to them week after week yes, after week, exactly. every Saturday night, they're going to get the, and it's not, yeah. it's not based on an algorithm that nope. I have no control over. It's like, nope, he's, this is going to go to every single person. I mean, there's, there's mail, you know, email filters and things like that, but compared to, um, Instagram that goes to maybe I look at my numbers and my Instagram posts go to maybe 12, 15% of the people who say they follow my account. My newsletter will go to 100% of those people. Correct. And so um, the, that, you know, that endures. And, and, you yeah. can, um, and so by blogging every, you know, couple of days or whatever, you're continually building that SEO both on Pinterest yes. And yeah. on Google, and it, mm-hmm. and the, the older your site is, the more valuable that SEO yeah. becomes. Yeah, yeah, that's something. It's so I've definitely, again, learned over the years of uh, SEO, which is search engine optimization, um, where people that like you, the example you gave, they're looking for something, and then the Google, being the most prominent search engine, will tell them where to go to find it, and so you want. You know, where I used to title blog posts like a really great day. <laughs> I did too. Back in the, now you, you, you write a headline that answers, that answers their question. Right. Like yes. how to bind a quilt. Yeah. So that's, that's so key. That's really important because Google is, is definitely the biggest search engine. And that's something that's been on my learning curve to do this, especially over the past few years is to kind of really focus on that. We are in a really visual market you know, people are creating, the people who are creating quilts and sewing, they're um, very visual people. They love colors and shapes. And, and so Pinterest is, uh, Pinterest started out as just like an organization system for me. And now it's, it's, a, it's a search engine. It's a, Absolutely. It's a it's way a people go visual, and look for content. It's a visual search engine and it has its own SEO yeah. and yeah. you absolutely need to to be thinking about Pinterest search when you are creating content there for and sure. There, are some really great, just simple, if again, speaking to someone who's trying to build a business in this um, market, there are just some really good, just really basic, simple things you can do to increase your visibility on, on Pinterest and just basic steps. The, the Pinterest business hub is really helpful. Um, I, I totally recommend that, but just, I'm just simple tips that I would say is, is shoot vertical pictures, make you spend time on your pictures shoot them vertically so that they take up more real estate on Pinterest. And, um, it's all, it's all about visual. So the, the better your the pick, take some time to, to just edit it, you know, boost the light and, um, make sure it's sharp and, and add a little bit of text, like explain what, what that picture is like this quilt pattern or this, how to make half square triangles or something like that. So that, 
That's yes, on Pinterest, when they see it, mm-hmm. the text overlay does well on Pinterest. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. So um, I think that's important. And I know people are going to want to know about um, a couple of things. One is your relationship with Riley Blake. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, obviously getting the opportunity to design fabric is for many people a dream come true. Um, and I think it's been, you know, at this point, fairly widely kind of passed around that it's difficult to make a living doing that exclusively. But it's also been made clear here that you have a lot of different income streams. You're making money through advertising on your blog. You have a lot of self-published patterns. Um, You you know, you're doing a lot of different things. But one of those sort of, you know, if you look at different drops in a bucket, one -hmm. of them is this fabric design, which is obviously a lot of fun for you. And so how did that relationship come about? Did you create a collection? and then go to quilt market and, and you know shop it around did you have a, a pre-existing relationship with somebody there or or how did this come about again I I feel so lucky as I look at how this how everything's evolved things again back to working in a quilt shop I never when I when I worked all the years I worked there I never in a million years would have dreamed that I would have my name on a salvage of those those bolts. And partly because I don't necessarily consider myself an artist. Like I, I, I know what to do with fabric and I know how to feature it and showcase it and make something great with it. But I didn't feel like I'm not a Heather Ross or a Sarah Jane Wright, who's like just a talented artist. Um, and so I, I kind of didn't really pursue that at first, well, for a long time, but I did, did um, work with multiple fabric companies as a, um, like designing projects for them or, or creating content for their websites. And so I built these relationships that way. And, and I think the fact that I had a platform made a, made a big difference too. Um, so I worked with Riley Blake for years. I, it's, I also am really lucky. I, I live, Riley Blake designs is their offices and they're they're located here in Utah and I live in Utah so I've known them um as I've picked up things at the office to sell with or things like that I've developed real life relationships with them too particularly Cindy Cloward who's the owner and um so that was like a really lucky benefit that I had that opportunity but quilt market I feel like I've got to know a lot of people as well anyways um after designing lots of projects and content for them, I had this relationship and they approached me and said, you know, what have you thought of designing a collection? And I, I thought, well, if I did, I would base it on, I kind of felt like there was this little niche that wasn't filled in the industry. And there's lots of reproduction lines in the, in the fabric world. There's, you know, civil war era, there's, Beats Act, Depression era, there was like 40s, 50s, there's the mod 60s, 70s reproductions. And I felt like the era of my childhood when my mom was making our curtains and clothes and um, in the 70s, those kind of gingham calicos weren't as represented. And I, so I said, you know what, this is um, an era that's sentimental to me and I think it would be fun to come up with a collection and um, based on this. And they said, okay, let's. And so we, I worked with them and I worked with them for a while. And I, I actually 
hired a graphic designer to help me with that part because I wasn't super confident in my graphic design skills. My illustrator skills are still not the greatest. Um, but I brought the vision and I brought, here's, here's what I, here's what I want to, here's the feeling I want to create. And they worked with me and, and we created that first line was called Gingham Girls. And it was very much based on my 1970s childhood with my Holly Hobby dolls and Gingham paper dolls and things like that. And it was so fun. I really feel thankful to Riley Blake for giving me that that opportunity. And it did so well. It was really fun to see how that struck a chord with a lot of people, whether they had been mothers during that era and and making clothes out of those similar prints for their own children, or they were my age and raised in that era. It was, that was really fun. Yeah. And I think, you know, I also, I I also have, uh, in, in all the interviews that I've done, I've come to to realize that if you are a quilter, um, it, it helps because you yes, understand. absolutely. Yeah, I do think it helps. And that's not to say that you have to be a quilter to design right, quilting right. fabric. But I mm-hmm. do think it's helpful because you understand how quilters use fabric. Yes. Which yes, is different absolutely. from how mm-hmm. um, a garment sewist or home deck yeah. uses fabric. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful to have a variety of viewpoints, right? I mean, we all benefit from that. But that did help me. Where, you know, I kind of downplayed my abilities because I'm not an illustrator. I'm not an artist, but I know how shops work and I know how quilters use fabric and I know how colors work together and just having practice and scale, you know, how scale of prints work together. And And I think there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there for sure. Okay, so um, uh, I want to touch briefly on quilt market I know you Mm -hmm. have gone and exhibited your fabrics there um, in your booth and marketed them to uh, retailers um, on behalf of Riley Blake and um, and I've seen your smiling face in your booth in many pictures um, uh, multiple times and I just wanted to um, you know get your viewpoint on on what that experience was like for you and um, I know spring quilt market here in, you know, 2020 yeah. um, was a, a no-go. Um, and, and I just wondered about, you know, your feelings about maybe the future of that um, particular show. Um, anyway, so let's just talk a little bit about uh, quilt market. Yeah, it's funny. That's something I've had a lot of thoughts about. And I've gone to spring quilt market like the past 10 years, every wow. year. Wow. And I... Uh, Interestingly enough, I wasn't planning to go this time, but I was, I'm, I'm hoping and planning to go to Houston in the fall. Um, there's things I really love about quilt market and, and that, especially as someone who was kind of learning the industry, learning that side of the industry, um, it, it, quilt market is a wonderful place to make connections with people. And, um, it's one thing to email somebody and and know their email address and hope they recognize yours, but it it makes such a difference when you have a real person and you've connected with that person in real life. When they email you, oh, this is this is Julia, and oh, you know, it it just changes everything. So I'm really grateful for the opportunities I took and had to go to Quilt Market for years because that's where I met the folks from Martingale that published my first book, and that's where I met you know a variety of just other people I've come to work with and love in the industry. 
um, has been, I'm really curious to see what happens after this experience that a quilt market definitely, it has changed over those years and numbers are smaller and it's been interesting, you know, for the first many years I went, I went as a, con- I wasn't a consumer and I was a shop owner, but I was someone who was taking it in. I wasn't trying to sell something other than maybe myself, just trying to build relationships. And now, um, as I've gone the past few years as part of, um, working for Riley Blake and promoting my fabric collection and trying to sell something, um, sell a product. Um, I, it's like, darn, I wish there were more people here. (laughs) So, um, it will just be really interesting to see. I, I know shops have less to spend. I know now they can see things, you know, so to, to pay for a big trip is, is really expensive for them and they could spend that money bringing in product for their shop. Um, it, it will just be interesting to see how this affects things. Um, uh, there's a part of me that wishes it would go to once a year. Cause I think more people would just make an effort to, to really show up and be there if it's only once a year. So who knows? I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, for sure. And, um, and then I also know that you work with baby lock. And I think, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and, and this will be the last thing we talk about before we get to your recommendations. But, <laughs> but um, I know there's so forever. many things to talk about. But, <laughs> but I do think that, um, but being an ambassador for a sewing machine brand, again, is an is a goal for a lot of uh, yeah. the people that I talk to. My, yeah, yeah, it sounds like it was one of yours. And, um, and so I know a lot of people wonder, like, how can I make that happen for me? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to get this to be part of my portfolio of, of, yeah. uh, of, of income streams or of, uh, you know, whatever. So, so how did how did this happen for you? And, and what has it brought you? You know, what has it been like? Um, I would say to, to, uh, to work with any brand to, um, you need to bring something or, or to design fabric or you need to bring something to them that's, that's valuable too. And so I would say to, to be able to do that, you need to build up your own content and your own persona. you know, you need to be a, a person that people trust and that they would look to like a friend for a recommendation. And so to, to get to the point where you're working with a, a, a bigger brand, just first of all, be authentic because people can tell authenticity or not a mile away, I think. And so, or, or they relate, they gravitate toward people who are, does that make sense? And, um, and so before you can get to where you're, you, you want to bring something to them. You want to be helpful. You, you want to, to be a collaboration. And so same with, with designing fabric, you need to bring an audience. And I, I've, I've heard multiple companies say like, we, there's, there's a million talented artists out there, but what they need is someone who also sell, sell what they're producing. And so you're, you're really a marketing partner. Yes, absolutely. That's that's why they want to work with anybody is is so that there's a collaborative effect going on that that you're a trusted. Um, I don't know if spokesperson is the right word, but you're just a trusted authority on on what you talk about and and what you create and share, and that people 
people trust you. And so to get to that point, you've got to create content and relationships with your audience so that a yeah. brand would, would want to, to say, will you bring your, your tribe, your friends, your audience and, and share this with them. And I would also say, um, I've learned a lot about who I want to work with. I'm, I, I don't want to take advantage of my audience. I don't want them to feel like I'm just selling stuff to them. I want to share things that this is something that's really helped me or that I really believe in or I would really recommend to my best friend. Like not, And so I don't want to be a salesperson all the time. I want to be a resource if they're looking for something. Yeah. But I want to be their friend that that is also having fun with them. Yeah, and that comes through this generosity that you've shared for so long. Um, and I think, you know, people might feel like, oh, well, that's like an overnight thing. But if we look at this, right, you started to blog yeah. in 2008 and now it's 2020. Yeah. <laughs> and not to say anyone who's getting started, you know, it's like, well, just dig in for 12 years and then it'll work out. <laughs> not to say that it takes but... that long. And we have seen, and I have had people on the podcast, um, Sarah Kirsten actually comes to mind where, um, it, it was a much, much quicker turnaround yes, process. Yes. And she has launched a wonderful, um, you know, pattern line and, and been really successful with, within a matter mm-hmm. of just a few years. Um, and so it is possible for sure. Yes, absolutely. And, and things have changed and there's, there's just so many great resources now you really can. And it's, and it's what you bring to it. And I, and I think one of the big picture things I would say, and, and I think is that don't be afraid to don't feel like you have to do everything. I, I look at people who have done, been really successful on YouTube and I'm just, that is a great area to be in. And I feel like I, right now I just don't have the time resources to invest in that too. I'm just going to stick with what has right. worked well for me. And I, I've taken a lot of time. Um, and this would be my, my biggest um, advice to someone who is, is trying to build a business is really look at where you're spending your time. A few years ago, I finally like really tracked, like, where does my income come from? What is the best use of my time? And it was kind of surprising. It was pattern writing. And so like, you know what, I'm going to really focus on this and improve this quality. And I I can't, you just can't spread yourself too thin. There were, there were years when I tried to do everything and every blog tour and every, whatever I thought everybody else was doing. And I just realized that, that, just caused me to feel harried and not produce great content. So for me, writing a blog, I still really like that. I know that's not for everybody, but I like it. I feel lucky. And so um, I keep doing that and right. trying to improve on that. And so pick pick your focus, track what works is successful and, and keep doing that. One of the best things I ever did, and this I should have thought of this as a recommendation. I read the book Essentialism. Okay. I would highly recommend that to any entrepreneur. It changed. It totally changed my focus. I feel like my income grew, my stress level decreased. I became. I enjoyed what I was doing so much more because of that book. Would highly recommend it. All right, we're going to add that to your recommendation yeah. list, and we're going to dive yeah. into those right now, anyway. So, um, the other book you wanted to recommend, and you listened to this one on Audible, is "The Moment of Lift" by Melinda Gates. I haven't read this one. 
Oh, it's so enjoyable. I really, I love, I love stories of people who empower other people. And, and this, my list that I sent you is more like, well, here's how I'm getting through the coronavirus quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's my like other things. That's good on. too. But I, I just enjoyed her book. Um, I love, I, I'm just a big believer in, in helping other people and that, that it makes you a happier person. And I love that example. And then you also wanted to recommend Yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. Oh, I love Yoga with Adrienne. I got to yes. tell you, so my sister is a certified yoga instructor. Oh, wow. And um, and I have been, I got to tell you, I've been yoga resistant for a long time. Um, oh, I'm not sure why, but yeah. actually during quarantine is I've gotten into yoga for the first time. And I now I kind of love it. So <laughs> there I you go. Is. I'm totally, I'm like, oh, one of those yoga people. <laughs> I'm one of those. And not to say that I'm like super intense. I, I've, the past few years, I've learned more about just being still and, and meditation. I recommend like Headspace or I found a great app called Sanbello that is free right now with, because um, during the current, the, this pandemic era. And so I totally recommend that. And, and yoga has become part of that. I had some health issues where um, intense exercise just wiped me out. I couldn't do it. And so, um, someone recommended yoga and I've loved it. It's just calming and yeah. it doesn't wear me out. It's just a great, and doing it in your own home, you don't have to worry about how you look. I know I'm a it's little great. like, I'm not sure I'm ready you. to go to an actual class, but I've gotten into doing it on YouTube and now I'm like, Oh, I see. I see why everybody likes It's a good it. thing. Just, yeah. I'm all about like, take some time, take deep breath. Hmm. Makes you feel a lot better. It does. And that last recommendation, <laughs> I let you, I let you stick a fourth one in there. But anyway, um, you have been binging past seasons of the amazing race. Yes, that's. I've needed something with my kids that we could all watch together. Been watching the, the Amazing Race on Amazon. It's, we were supposed to go on a trip this summer, yeah, and that got canceled. So we're living vicariously. Yeah, we, I, I've I've been an Amazing Race fan for twenty years too. So okay. I love it. I We've love been watching the um, the Great Pottery Throwdown. That's what maybe. Oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. It's I good. Need to look at that. Yeah, it's on oh, YouTube. Great. Yeah, go watch it. It's really good. Okay. Um, like, with teenagers, I'm like, can someone? Oh, we yeah. just need more recommendations. We're running out of shows. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And also Blown Away, which is a glass blowing. It's very similar. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's good. Oh, too. I will totally check those out. I know. We're like learning crafting from these shows. But anyway. <laughs> well, nice. Amy, yes. thank, yeah, thank you so oh. much for taking the oh, time so to be on the Craft Industry Alliance Sorry, podcast. Sorry, you got my long-winded answers. I oh, no, I love it. Days. It's been great. But it was really fun to talk. Um, And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Janelle Hardy and the Art of Personal Myth-Making, a transformational memoir writing course that supports you in getting the first draft of your memoir written while also healing from the more difficult parts of your life story. Why not start with Janelle's free online video workshop, Outline Your Memoir, In two hours, you'll go from having an unrealized desire to get your story down on paper to having an outline, a timeline, structure for your writing, and enthusiasm. Check out Janelle's workshop and courses at www.janellehardy.com. 
Thank you so much, Janelle. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.